Joe Campus. We're so glad you're part of our church family. Come on, church. Welcome them in. Man, the kids did an awesome job in, uh, in leading us in worship, and uh, I love it. It's, it's, it's so exciting. I've got, um, there's a bunch of announcements that I, I should go over, but you saw them all, so I'm just going to jump into the brand new series that I will tell you, I, I, this is confession time. Uh, I do this every, every series. I'm like, this is it. This is the series. There's nothing quite like this one, uh, but... This one I have been waiting for. Do you remember back when, in January when we started the series, uh, the first series was uh, Bucket List. And it, we talked about expanding our capacity. And that's going to be the theme of this year. Uh, I've been soft pedaling everything to this moment. Now I'm, gonna, I'm digging in. This is going to be the hardcore stuff. So you were here this morning, the, day, the Sunday after Mother's Day. That means you are like legit. You weren't drug here. Uh, you were not dragged here. Okay. I, I was corrected the first service. If you were drugged here, <laughs> there you go. My first reference to drugs in the message. There's probably going to be at least two more. Uh, <laughs> so, um, if you were drugged here, I'm sorry. Uh, we did not do that. <laughs> we, but if you were dragged here uh, last week, we're glad you're back. And uh, this is going to be a series that is going to change your life. I, this is one of those, I'm going to stand on this. He, here's what you got to know. This is a series that will, um, will, will oh man, I'm like that's that good. It will impact you. Uh, it, it will allow. It will change your world if you let it. And here's why: because you were created to make a difference in your world. You were. That's who you are supposed to be. So the series is called Letters to Leaders. So so let's break it down. Letters to leaders. So. The letters are written by uh, two-thirds of the New Testament, uh, the books of the Bible, of two-thirds of the books in the New Testament, there we go, I got it all out right, is written by a man named Paul. Most of you, if you've been around church at all, have heard of this guy named Paul at some point, and, and because he's written that much. Now, he writes these, all of the books that he writes, we, we call them books, but they're really letters. He wrote these as letters to churches and to church leaders. So if, if it's so important that two-thirds of the New Testament is written to leaders on how to be leaders, then it's probably pretty important that we learn how to be leaders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, I, that, that was, I don't need agreement. I'm stating a fact, okay? Uh, th- this is where we have, to, we have to really grasp this. Now, now leadership is, so when we talk about letters to leaders, these leaders, we're going to dive into them, uh, specifically Timothy, Titus, Philemon, uh, uh, Aquilus, and Priscilla. We're going we're gonna to have, uh, uh, have a time where we're going to dive into those, but today I need to set some, some groundwork, some foundation. So, in, and I always, when you study Bible, you need what? Context. So context is so important. So I want to I want to set some context today. So today's message. If you hear today's message, it's going to be vital that you come back and hear the rest of these, because there's so much in this. I, I, okay, there's 29 rabbit trails in today's message. I, I counted them. There's 29 of them, uh, and I only took eight of them in the first service. So uh, uh, 29 rabbit trails, and literally, there's so much in this that I. Paul is one of those guys we know so much about because he wrote two thirds of the Bible, or two thirds of the New Testament. We can we know so much about him that it's hard to limit on what I want to give you. So, leaders, what does it mean to be a leader? John Maxwell defines it, I think, the best. Leadership is influence. Now, I didn't put that in your notes, but maybe you want to put that at the top that leadership is influence. 
That, that's what it is. So if you're here this morning and you are, have influence at your workplace, you are a leader. That's what you, you have influence. If, you are a, uh, if you're here this morning and you have influence in your family, then you are a leader. If you're here this morning and you have influence in your community, maybe it's in a position of volunteering, maybe it's as a position you coach, you help in umpiring, you, you do anything like that, you are in a position of influence, then you are a leader. You are a leader if you have influence at your school. So today's student takeover tonight, we're going to be meeting here at 7 o'clock for the student takeover service. It's going to be phenomenal, and I need students to understand this. You are a leader. I, 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 I hammer this home with, with my, my kids. I, we have the McDonald mantra. Uh, we, every, every morning, we, I get my kids, we, we're on the way to school, and I'm like, hey, what does it mean to be a McDonald? And they'll say it real fast. See, what, they do it really, they grace each other. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> It, McDonald's, we're McDonald's. What's that mean? Christians, leaders, plight and kind, strive for excellence. Christians, we follow Jesus Christ. To be great leaders, we must first follow the, the greatest of leaders. So, what is so we're Christians, we follow Jesus Christ. We're leaders, and what, I'll, I'll dive in on that one. I'll say, okay, what's it mean to be a leader? And the best way to say that I'm a leader is to say I'm not a thermostat. I don't tell you what the room temperature is. I'm a thermostat. I change the temperature in the room. That's influence. So that's why, I'm, that's why I'm driving home. I want you to understand that you, yes, you are a leader. You are meant to have influence. And if two-thirds of the New Testament is written to us so that you can understand that you are a leader, then let's get it. Let's grab hold of it that we are influenced. I, I wrote it down this way in, in my notes. I said, what is influence? It means to live in a way that gives the desire and ability to be an influencer. So, so if, you are, if you're a leader, that means you're living in such a way that people look at you and go, I want what you've got, and I want to know how you got it. So that, that's, that's influence. I, the, the desire for people, you have, the, the people want what you have. And so right, right there I could do a whole message because Christian, Christianity Christians have done a real good job of telling people what we're against and making it seem like something that they don't, nobody wants to be a part of. Like, mean face, Sunday school teacher, that, that with the ruler. Like, that, that's our, like, people, you, 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 you chuckle because that's a picture that many of us grew up with. Like, the, the meanest people you know were your Sunday school teachers. Our Sunday school teachers are awesome, okay? I say that for a couple reasons. One of them's my wife, um, and she will beat me. She doesn't beat kids. She'll beat me. No, I'm joking. She won't. She's amazing. Our, no, but seriously, our, our kids are, have a blast. You saw them. I mean, they, they, we are investing in our students. But we have an idea of Christianity being, so are we living lives that our people desire to, to live also? So, okay, so leadership is, is influence. Here's another thing you need to understand. But in your notes, I put it this way. Leadership, leadership is hard because of people. I hear this a lot. I love what I do. I just don't like who I do it with or who I do it for. I, I, my job would be great if I didn't have to wait on people. <laughs> that's, I mean, I think that's the general consensus for everyone is that you have this, like, I, I, I like what I do. I just don't like doing it for people who are annoying. Which is why after we talk about, as McDonald's, we say we're leaders, and then we're polite and kind. And then I'll ask this, to who? To the most annoying kid in your class who picks his nose and wipes it on you. 
ooh, yes, that kid. Be polite and kind. To, but be people, people are hard. Here's why it's so hard to lead people, and leadership is influence, and influence isn't with, I mean, you can lead cats. No, you can't. Cats cannot be led. They are, they are the devil of animal kingdom. Uh, <laughs> oh, there's some cat people in here. I'm sorry. You know it's true. Uh, <laughs> You can lead dogs. You can lead dogs. They are, uh, yeah, but influence isn't with dogs. We're talking about leading people, having influence with people. People are hard, though, because people will hurt you. People can hurt you. People can do things to you that will hurt you. And and this is, as we study through the letters to leaders that Paul writes, we're going to deal with this topic a lot. Because 1 Corinthians was written specifically to a church who was dealing with situations where an individual had hurt them. At one point, he tells them, hey, the guy that's sleeping with his father's mother, this is how you have to deal with him. Yeah, that's in the Bible. You should read it. It's crazy. It, 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 there's places where people are, what, what do you, how do you have influence with people who are looking for an opportunity to do harm to you or who have done harm to you? People will, people will hurt you. Here's another thing about people is people will, will fail you. Not that they can fail you. They will fail you. Th- this is one of those, like, I- I'm sorry. You, you, people, if you have people around you, they have either failed you or they will fail you. I guarantee it. I, th- listen, as a pastor and a, as a leader in my position, I, let me just put this out there. I will fail you. I promise. I, I, I'm a man. I'm a human being. So therefore, I will fail you. I probably have already failed you, not even knowing it. And other times, I just dropped the ball, and I, I kind of stink at life. So there, and I've been told I'm jerk Josh. So there it is. I, I will fail you. This church will fail you. The, the, the people sitting beside you will fail you. Welcome to Authentic Church. We will fail you. There's our new tagline. <laughs> It's just the truth is we will fail you. It, and another hard part about people is that people are selfish. So leading people is hard because all they think about is themselves. If you're a parent, man, this, you understand this so well. Like you're trying to teach your kids to do well, to be polite, to be kind, to, to do the nice things and to serve other people. And they're like, why? What's it good for for me? And that's the natural immature state of a human being is selfishness. Now, now, the reason leadership is hard because of people, but the reason why I know it's hard because of people is because really leadership is hard because of me. You can put you, me is not me. This is not a pa- like preach against Pastor Josh moment, okay? I'm talking about you. Leadership's hard because you're not really good at leading you. Because you fail. You've done things in your life that have failed yourself, and you've failed the people around you. You've hurt people, and you've been hurt. And we know this. One of the things that we talked about when we're dealing with people who are in places of, of, of grief and all this, going through situations, is hurting people hurt people. And the reason why we hurt people is because we're hurting inside. So we fail, we hurt, and we are selfish. And when we understand Paul's definition of leadership, it is to serve. So leadership is hard because of people and because of me. Until we do a really good job of learning how to lead ourselves, we don't do a good job of leading others. 
and we don't have a life that people desire to live after. They don't, we, don't, we don't have a life that people desire or want the ability to live. So we, we jump down to this place where we learn how to lead by leading ourselves so that we can lead others, and it's not going to be easy. So this guy that we're going to focus on for the, uh, the, through the series, Paul, Paul wrote this to his protege, Timothy, in 1 Timothy. He says, and introducing it in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, and before, in, in the first, uh, I think it's chapter, verse 4 of this chapter, he says, I'm writing to Timothy, my spiritual son. And so he writes to him, and he defines himself. Now, this is, I, I kind of want you to grab this so that you have context of who this guy is, whose letters we're reading. And this is how he describes himself. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointed me to his service, or in other translation is to serve. He says, thank you for giving me that opportunity, even though I once was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent Man, this is how he describes himself. He says, I, I, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on, uh, on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Defining himself, he says, I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, and I was a violent man. He continues on there. He says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, which he says, I am the worst. Not I was the worst, but I am the worst. And but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example, as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul spends this uh, moment in, in the scripture to let you know it doesn't matter who you are. He was the worst of them, and now he's the, the best example of what it means to be used by Jesus. He's given us this picture of who he is and what he is, and that he is a, an, a created to, he was once the worst of the worst, and now he's being used as an example of God's grace and his, his mercy. So let, let's, let's, let's Look at Paul. First time you are introduced to Paul, you, you are introduced to him as Saul, and it's in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, there is a moment where the, the first recorded uh, martyrdom of Christianity takes place. Stephen is killed by a group of men who stone him to death, and uh, Saul is there holding the cloaks of those who are stoning him and giving his allowance to have the, for them to do it. His, he, was, he has a man of influence in the Jewish community. He was trained by the best. He was given this position and, and was now giving them the permission to kill Stephen. And he goes on, he does all these things. But it's interesting, Luke, Luke writes the, the, the Gospel of Luke, and then he, it's tagged in right next to the, uh, the book of Acts. So Luke is describing the situation. Now Luke ends up traveling with Paul. So he has an insight with Paul that many, of, that many others didn't have. He literally traveled with him, planted churches with him, so he knows Paul really well. And he's show, he's, he introduces Paul, Saul, to us in this situation. He says, here's Saul. He is stoning. He's part of the, the murder of Stephen. And now 
typically, in a, this setting, he would have continued to write about this character, Saul. But Luke does something unique. He actually steps back and says, before you get any more information about Saul, you need to know, even before he knew he was called, God was using his actions to take his gospel around the world. See, to this point, the gospel had stayed in Jerusalem. We're about a year, some scholars say two years after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. We're a year to two years later, depending on who, what date you want to take. But this gospel, this, this, the story of Jesus Christ and his love for humanity had stayed in Jerusalem. Now, Saul is leading a persecution against these people who are of the way, which is what they called them, the people of the way, and they now have to leave Jerusalem because they're being persecuted. And what do they do? They take the story with them. In, in chapter 8 you, the, uh, of Acts, you see that he, Luke takes a moment to give us a description of Philip, who takes the gospel uh, to different places, and even to the story of Jesus gets taken to Ethiopia because of the persecution. So this is all taking place, and, and then you get another introduction to Saul in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, and here's what Luke says. He says, meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Now, again, laying context, laying foundation, here he is. He is ready to kill every follower of Jesus Christ. Immediately, in our mind, we're like, wait a minute, I'm a follower of Jesus he was trying to kill people like me. So he, therefore, is an enemy of me. And we, every, every, almost every story and every, every message that I've, I've read of, of, about Saul at this point puts him in this category of an evil, malicious person who hated God. But we don't take the time to know Saul. Saul was not, in fact, malicious. He was passionate or as he would like to say, he had a zeal for God. Now, so he understood this relationship. So he, you have to, Paul, Saul was his, I'll, I'll get that in a minute. Saul had a, was grazed as a Jew, devout Jew. He was becoming a Pharisee. He was in leadership. And what he saw with the, Christi, with the, with the way was a group of people who were turning their back on what he understood as true. And so he was going to end it. Why? Because it, you go back to the Old Testament. He had a foundation in him. He knew a story about a, a, a king named Balak. Balak was a king when uh, Israel was coming out of Egypt and in the wilderness. Balak wanted to stop Israel. So he, uh, he, went to, uh, he got a guy named Balaam and he said, Hey, I want you to pray some curses against these people and to stop them. So Balaam goes and tries to pray curses against them, but can't because God's for them. And so he, three times he tries to pray, pray a curse against Israel, and he can't. So finally, Balaam says, you know what? I can't pray a curse against them, but you know what you can do? Get your women to go in there and, 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 and deceive them. And once your women get in there, they'll start to worship your gods. And sure enough, it happens. And Moses takes this moment, and it's in Numbers, I believe Numbers chapter 25, and he's having this moment where he's telling the, the nation of Israel, we will not stand for this, this must end. And as he's saying this, an Israelite takes a uh, woman from the foreign country, brings her into the tent next to where Moses is making this proclamation, and begins to sleep with her. Phineas, not the Phineas of last week, and not Phineas and Fur, Phineas, 
is the man who sees what's going on. And the Bible the, the, uh, says he had a zeal for the truth of God, took a spear and rammed it through the man and the woman into the ground. And the curse was lifted from Israel. This is Paul's perspective on, the, uh, on Christianity. So he is not coming against it as some kind of uh, 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 malicious, I'm just going to kill people for just to kill people. He is trying to save his nation who is already the, under the hands of Rome. And he's saying, I will not let it be destroyed anymore. It is with this that he says, I'm going to get the priest okay to go to Damascus. So in Acts chapter uh, 9 verse 3, it says, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. So he gets permission from the high priest. To go to Damascus, because he hears that there's Christians there, and he's going to get rid of them. He's going to put them in prison. He's been doing it in Jerusalem. Now he's going to go to Damascus. Now, this is not a small trip. There's Jerusalem. There's Damascus. That's a 135-mile trip on foot. Now, in this culture, uh, in this time, Rome had made amazing uh, uh, roads and travel. And their perspective was pretty easy. Not compared to ours, but easy for them and relatively safe. So here he is with a letter telling those in Damascus that he has permission to lock up or kill any Christian that doesn't stop, that, that will denounce the name of Jesus. He's on his way there and a light hits him. And then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Anytime you see somebody be called by their name twice, something's about to change. It happens to Moses. When out of the burning bush, he says, Moses, Moses. It happens to Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. And he says, to, hey, Jacob, Jacob. It happens to Abraham when he's become the father of the nation. Abraham, Abraham. It happens to, to all, to anytime you see two na his name said twice, it happens twice. Now, let me, let me stop here. I, I, I'm not going to ask this question. Don't, don't answer this. How many of you, just in your mind, how many of you think Saul's name was changed to Paul? Okay, don't, don't raise your hand because it wasn't. It was not changed. I just did a whole series on the Mandela effect and how we think we know things. This is one of those things we think we know. Saul was Saul before he was, uh, had this um, moment, and then he became Paul. His name does not change. Saul was his Hebrew name, what he would deal with when he was talking to Jews, then thus when he was a Pharisee. And Paul was his Roman name, which was when he was ministering to the, those that were of uh, Gentiles. So even if you read his scripture, if you read scripture, you'll see where it's even interchanged all throughout the Bible. He's called Saul and then Paul, Paul, then Saul. It's not a name change. It's the same name. So you're welcome. You, you learned something. So we have this moment where many of us say something happened and he says, why are you persecuting me? And the next verse says, Jesus responds to him, says, who, he, I'm sorry, Paul says, who are you, Lord? And Saul, Saul asked, and the voice replied, I am Jesus. For Paul, Jesus does something for him that he did for the disciples on the boat, when they were on the boat and he walked on the water. And he looked and he stopped at them and said, I am. The words here are exactly that. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. 
It's important that we catch this. When Jesus says, when you persecuted the, when Stephen, when you killed Stephen, he was like, you're killing part of me. When you persecuted and put the followers of the way in jail, in prison, that's like putting me in prison. You are, he unifies those who are going through hardship for his sake with him. So he says, you, you, um, that's a unification. He says, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, Damascus, and you will be told what you must do. So, so we were introduced to, this, uh, to, to Saul, who has the zeal for, for God, who is passionate for knowing God. And something changes in this moment where he goes from knowing about God and all the power of God and having a passion for God to meeting God face to face. Now, a lot of us have learned that this was Saul's conversion. Even in your Bibles, if you look there, it probably has a title that says Saul's conversion. Paul does not call it his conversion. He calls it his calling. Hebrews 1.15, he says, or I'm sorry, uh, Galatians 1.15, he says, that was my moment of calling. Another place that he references this story, he says, it was my revelation of Jesus Christ. So it was not a conversion, it was a better understanding of who he was as a Jew. So when he goes, it's, he's not converting, he's not changing his belief, he just has a better understanding of who the Messiah is, and Jesus reveals himself as that Messiah. In this moment, he, his calling is brought to him. His uh, mission of life is changed from going to kill the Christians to becoming the leader of the followers of Jesus Christ. And so if you have this this great story. And then he writes these books and it's, he plants churches all around the world. But a lot of times what happens is we leave this moment where we're introduced. Oh, let me finish the scripture because it says, uh, so he goes, uh, now, uh, oh yes. So we get into this next part of who we're introduced to, who, because Paul definitely was a leader of leaders and writing letters to leaders. But who led Paul? We're introduced to this gentleman here. In verse 10, it says, now there was a believer. Other translations say a disciple, meaning that he was a follower of Jesus Christ. And he says, in Damascus, named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. One time. This is, Ananias didn't need to be called twice. He had already been following Jesus. His life has already been, but now he's getting a defined mission. And he says, Ananias, and he says, yes, Lord, or here I am. And he replied, Go to the next verse. It says, the Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. I did some study on this Straight Street because I was like, did they have street names? And in fact, they kind of did. But this was in in Damascus, the the way that it was built as a city, they didn't have city engineers. They just kind of built. And so the roads in the city were constantly curving back and forth, back and forth, except for this one. Straight Street was the main road that went through Damascus. It had Roman colonnades on both sides of it. It was the main street. It was the main street. So what's about to happen doesn't happen on some side corner, on some hidden alley. It was the main road going through Damascus. He says, when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias. That's you. Coming in and laying hands on him so he can... See, again, Ananias says, but Lord, 
But Lord, I, I've heard about this guy. I, I've heard about Paul and what he's doing. I know what he did to the people in, in Jerusalem. And he, he, he was there when Stephen was killed. I, and he's putting, been putting people in prison. And he's coming here with a letter that states those that call upon your name can be jailed or killed. <laughs> but Lord, but Lord. He is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls on your name. The next verse there says, it says that, uh, but the Lord said to him, go for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings, as well as to the people of Israel. There is, this line right here is a foreshadowing of the book of Acts 13 through 28. Exactly that. He goes before kings, he takes it to the Gentile world, and even to some of the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, immediately, people, I, as I read that the first time through, I'm like, yeah, it's going to get him. Show him what's up. Mess him with his, his followers in Jerusalem, and now he's going to mess with him. But we, that's when we don't understand context. The context is, again, Jesus is telling him he's going to be unified in my mission, which was the cross. See, leadership is hard. Leadership is hard because it deals with people, and it deals with me. And he says, he's going to suffer and be unified with me in the cross. And Paul writes that over and over again. He says, I am unified in Christ. I suffer in Christ. I am doing this in Christ. And so here he is. He says, the the foreshadowing is is here. The next verse says, so Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus. I catch that. I'm going to come back to that. Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me, uh, sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Been doing good about not following some rabbit trails, but I need to take this one. Something happens in Paul's life. And when he goes from knowing of God and knowing and grasping the Old Testament and understanding all about who God was to encountering and experiencing Jesus, he then takes the step of baptism. See, we, we at this church, we, we strongly say, hey, when you take the step of, of believing in Jesus and your life is changed and you turn from knowing of God to knowing God, you need to take that step of obedience. Not because it gets you saved, because it is a step that Jesus modeled for us, And Paul here models it for us as well. That when your life is changed, you take a step and you declare that old man is washed away. And I am standing new in front of the kingdom of God. And it's that moment where he's baptized and and, uh, takes that step. And and there's some things that are interesting here. Is that so he takes this step and he hears of Jesus. And Ananias, who is a believer, is introduced to to Saul. And he goes to him... and it's interesting, a lot of times we, we want to take the Bible and we cast it aside and say this is that. And, or somebody in our lives will say, I've, been, I've heard a calling from God. God's called me. And, and you'll be like, yeah, that's cool. I, 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 you know, I saw this happening and this is, gonna, this is where God's taking me. And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's just a little out there. But here we have two people. Two people who experience the same vision and confirm one another. And so, so this is all taking place. And, and here, here's where I want to spend a few moments looking at the leadership that Ananias gives us. Because there's some things that, that Ananias gives us ability to lead somebody or have influence on somebody who is, a, who is legitimately trying to destroy us. 
And the first thing that you have to grab, and this is in your notes at the bottom there, is that you have to listen for your calling. You have to listen for your calling. See, your first calling is to follow Jesus Christ, to respond to him and to follow him. But then there's a moment where you, you have a calling that God gives to you, that he, he's saying, Ananias, and he's calling your name, and he's saying, this is what you need to do. And before he even says uh, uh, anything, he says, here I am. I, I, I don't know what, how this started, but like in our family, we have this, uh, like, when we're saying something to the kids that they don't want to do, like, hey, you need to go clean your room. Uh, you need to go do this. You need, and they'll start, I can't hear you. And they get so loud that they can't hear you because they know what you're going to tell them. We do that with God a lot, don't we? We're, we're, uh, yeah, I want to do what God tells me to do, but then what he tells me to do it's kind of out there. I can't hear you. We can't hear you. You're going to have to talk louder. God's not talking to me. I don't know why he's not talking to me. I can't hear him. Because we're working so hard to be distracted. We're working so hard, and we get all these distractions in our world and all the things that we try to do just so we don't stop and just listen for our calling. You want to know what your calling is? I can't give it to you. But you can listen for it, and you'll hear it. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says you are God's masterpiece you are God's masterpiece you are created anew in Christ Jesus so that you can do the purpose that he laid out for you long ago man that's a powerful verse when you understand that God's got a calling for you and this whole series is going to be about understanding you have a calling. You have a, a something that God's calling on you. Your mission is there. You have a mission. Now your mission, like Ananias at one point, was to be a good follower of Jesus, to lay low in Damascus and not get in trouble. Then it changes. God calls him to something different, and He calls him into that. And it says we we have to follow Him. And then the, the, once we understand that we're supposed to listen to our for our calling, then we need to trust our calling. <laughs> trust our calling. See, there's no guarantee. Of what, what was going to happen. I mean, Ananias didn't get a guarantee that when you get there, uh, Saul's going to respond to you in some great way. The other people have, respond, have heard the revelation of Jesus and not responded positively. Ananias could have gone there and lost his head. When you have a calling on your life, more than likely, it's going to be risky and there's going to be uncertainty. There's going to be things in your, in, your, in your calling that are going to be things that are just like, ah, that's kind of scary. <laughs> Where, how, am I going to, how am I going to do that? I mean, this is, this is, this is life. I, I, I just, we had a, a, a wedding here, our first wedding ever, right here at this church. And I, I, as I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm walking them through their ceremony, I, I'm looking at them going, you have no idea. You have no idea. You're getting married. You think you know what it's going to be. In fact, we give a, my, my wife is a uh, certified pre-marriage counselor and uh, she does this uh, online assessment thing with them and it's hilarious because like she showed me some of their answers and like what they thought, like, okay, let's, w- this is in general. I'm not going specifically to this couple. So just FYI, those that you know, the couple, I'm not speaking of them in specific, but this is what in marriage we think when we get married, before we get married, one of the questions is, how often will you have sex? Two to three times a week, once a week. 
once a month. And it's hilarious, because they're like, yeah, once a day. <laughs> Do you even realize? <laughs> like, your life is about to change. It doesn't work that way. Uh, it doesn't. I'm sorry. If you were engaged here to this morning, it doesn't happen that way. <laughs> just, just being real. But we, <laughs> we have uncertainty when you become a parent. You don't, like, get qualified to be a parent and know all the things that are going to happen and then become a parent. Even if you think you, you read that book, you know, what, that, what to expect when you're expecting, most of that's a bunch of baloney and doesn't work. And then nothing goes that way. Your kid is unique and special. Trust me. They, it doesn't work that way. We, there is, when God calls you into something, whether it's parenthood, whether it's ministry, whether it's into your position of leadership, whether it's in the workplace, it is full of uncertainty and risk. Go anyways. Trust your calling. Proverbs uh, 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord, the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. So you, you listen for your calling, you trust in your calling, and then you trust in others' calling. We, we love Ephesians 2.10 when it's talking about us. I am God's masterpiece. Look at me. Come on. Look at me. Look how good I am. I got this down. But so is the person who is in the rehab center right now. He's God's masterpiece. So is the young lady who is being trafficked in sex, sex slavery right now. She's God's masterpiece. So is the person who rubs you the wrong way and annoys the living daylights at work. <laughs> so is your child when they pick their nose and wipe it on you. They are God's masterpiece. God's masterpiece. And when you understand that every single one of us, 1 Peter uh, 4.10 says that God has given each of you a gift from his great list of spiritual gifts. Each one of us have given that. Yes, me. Yes, you. Yes, the person at the rehab center. Yes, the young lady that is being abused. Yes, that person has a calling. Yes, that person has a calling. I love how Ananias approaches Saul. He doesn't say... Well, Saul, I hope you get this figured out. He says, Brother Saul, already bringing him in to be part of the church, to be part of what God's doing, he's already on mission with him before the scales fall off his eyes, before he changes his relationship. So when you believe in others, and then you live out your calling. You live it out. You live it out. See, he... Here's the hard part of the this, of this story is so many times we look at it and we talk about the person who is struggling with addiction and we need to minister to them. And yes, we do. And yes, we need to minister to the person, the young lady that's being abused. And yes, we need to minister to the person that's in, at the end of the exit ramp. And, 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 and all, all those people need to be ministered to. But Saul wasn't that person. Saul was an upstanding, educated rabbi, Pharisee. He was one who was, was walking in, in an illustration of success in his society. He was the CEO. He was the principal at the school. He was, he was the one in charge. See, it, it's one thing for us to say, yeah, I got a calling. Yes, I trust in my calling. Yeah, yeah I believe others are called. Most of that, you all said, yep, I agree with that. 
The challenge of this series is now go live it out. Now, go live it out. Lord Jesus, Lord, I pray over this church. I pray over every single person that is here this morning that they realize that they are created a masterpiece by you, that you have a desire to pour your spiritual gifts into them and to be used by you so that they can serve others. Lord, that we realize that every single one of us are people of influence, that you have created us to make a difference in our world. So Lord, equip us. Let us have an attitude that's ready to move in that place that is used by you. Let us have the relationship that allows us to lead. In Jesus' name, amen.